want to continue on the theme that Pastor Kelvin led us toward in prayer. Um, I want to keep encouraging you to pray. Uh, I think we all around here believe that God's in a saving mood right now. And we want to call on Him and keep asking Him urgently. Not because He doesn't want to save. We know that He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to Him. But to pray because there is great opposition, there is a great fight, there is a great battle for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And I want you to not stop praying, I want you to keep praying and keep praying on through this week. In particular as we look forward to next Sunday night and, and uh, we're trying something different this year by inviting some of the kids and families that, that come to our summer programs. We haven't done that before and hosting a party for them that they might be here. So... We're seeking to reach out to people, so please keep praying, and then pray on through the next week, because it will be Christmas Eve, and we, have, we usually fill this place with people who I've never seen before, or I only see once a year on Christmas Eve, and uh, that leads me to believe they probably, many of them don't know the Lord, and yet they come back because they believe it's something important to do traditionally at Christmas, but... Let's pray for salvation. Let's pray that the Lord will continue to work. And then on into Christmas morning and, and uh, pray through that. And then um, we want to keep praying as a church family after that. Uh, prayer is going to be our thing. It is our thing, but it's going to be more of our thing because we realize that it, it's not us. We can't do anything, not by strength, not by might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord, and it's by us calling out to him and relying totally on him and and uh, the, the Who is Jesus uh, presentation off campus in our, as Pastor Kelvin, just your prayer kind of overwhelmed me this morning, Kelvin, and just thought again of the reality of that. This is an amazing, amazing thing. And uh, let's, not, let's not miss this opportunity or pass on it or, or take it lightly. Let's, let's really call out to the Lord because there's going to be an incredible amount of, of opposition. The minions of darkness are going to be arrayed against this arrayed against our ministry and arrayed against this, this outreach into our community and this, this uh, momentous moment on the campus of, of Canada's fastest growing university. So let's, let's not let anything down here. Let's keep praying with vigor. Um, over these past two nights, we've had 76 personal contacts with people. And we're praising God for that. And we anticipate more this afternoon and more tonight. And and on through this Christmas season. So um, God is at work. I can't encourage you enough with this. I, I really believe in my heart that, um, that God is, is so much at work. And there's an urgency in my heart this year uh, above other years. And I'm not sure what that means. But, um, but I believe that God has put it there. And so let's really be vigorous and passionate about this. And there is much, much opposition. As I talk to people, I know you are facing and I know you feel it. Um, and when God is at work, when God's saving work is that, I said to Pastor Steve this morning, I said, when, when we are about the saving work of God, there is no end of opposition and pressure and all of that. So, um, way above us. But nothing's too hard for God. And that's who we serve. And I'm excited about that. And I want to talk to you this morning as we start uh, sort of the Christmas proclamation from the preaching end of things. We've certainly started it from music, but I want to start it from preaching as well. I want to tell you that this morning I'm going to share something with you that um, uh, the kind, it's the kind of stuff about Jesus that isn't welcome in the bar rooms. It's not welcome at bar mitzvahs. 
It's not welcome in corporate boardrooms. It's not welcome at parties. It's not welcome by pagan priesthoods. It's not welcome at kingdom halls. It's not welcome at bio-research stations or public schools or science textbooks. It's not welcome when people gather around the holiday tree. And nor is it welcome when people are celebrating Festivus for the rest of us. It's not welcome by anybody but us. And I think it's not welcome by some people even among us. I, I want to talk to you about the, the powerful reality of Jesus Christ. It's inappropriate to start Christmas without us understanding the significance of Christ. There are two realities that seem to maroon the skeptics as far as all things Christian. One of them is the record and reality of Jesus' past. What I mean by that is his, his um, pre-manger reality. And the second is his, the reality and record of his future, which I mean by that, his post-death reality. For most of us, as we wander through the malls or we walk around in our offices and look around our neighborhoods and the Christmas lights all over. By the way, have you seen the Griswold house on Mary Street? You got to go there and look at the lights there. Some serious, by Beatrice and Mary, you, you got to go there. I mean, as we wander around, we see, we see evidence around us of all kinds of, of Christmas stuff going on. There's no end of that. And what we experience and encounter is that for the most part, his manger scene is in, at least invited to most parties. But the reality of who Jesus Christ is is not welcome. And I'm convinced that that was the challenge the Holy Spirit gave to John when he wrote his gospel, his introduction, his beginning, with one of the most amazing records of the nature of Christ recorded, I think, in the Scriptures. Any of you who were around in 2006 will remember, or you've charted in your Bibles, Rick, you preached on this in 2006. Yes, I did. In fact, um, back in Chatham, you know, I used to have this lady. She would, she would write the date of, uh, beside the text of everything I ever preached, you know. And, and, you know, she was a lovely, lovely lady, but it was really hard to come back and preach anything another time, you know. Because she'd say, you, you preached that on March 23rd. 1995. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you know. Most people don't remember what you preached two or three days later. But it seems to me that this is so vital to us that once every five years might be an appropriate time to circle back. And just in case, you know, because this text is the prepare your heart for the coming of the Lord text. Like none other Par excellence. It's, it's, it's the time when the skeptics were standing around John the Baptist who was preaching. And they were basically saying to him, who are you? Like, are you Elijah? Who are you? What are your credentials? He said, basically, I'm nothing. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, in their hearing, they knew where he pulled that statement from. He pulled that out of an amazing text declaring the glory of our great God, the God of the universe, Isaiah chapter 40. 
And, of course, he was in reference to the, the coming and preparation of Jesus Christ. In that statement alone, John the Baptist stands and proclaims the excellence of Jesus Christ. Make straight the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was saying to them in his proclamation, he was saying, whatever it takes to to shave down the hills, whatever it takes to clear away the debris, whatever it takes to, to fill in the trench or the trenches or the potholes that are in the way of access to Christ, do whatever it takes, but make straight the way of the Lord. That's his bold proclamation of Christmas. And, and that's our message. That's, that's what we're all about. That's what this Christmas musical weekend is all about. We are calling out to each of us and calling out to our community. Make straight the way of the Lord. Don't miss the excellence of the babe in the manger. Don't allow all the traditions and trappings of Christmas to shut you out of knowing who This one is. So I want you to turn with me this morning to John chapter 1. I want to uh, spend a couple of weeks here. Not straight. We'll come back next week. But we're going to spend a couple of weeks here. You know, because here here was the point of John. John. John articulated at the very... By the way, there are two Johns in this reference in this gospel. One's John the Baptist. John the Baptist isn't the writer of this gospel. John is writing early in the stages of his letter about John the Baptist and his preaching. But John, the evangelist John, disciple John, he proclaims at the very end or very near the end of his gospel precisely why the Spirit of God laid this message on his heart. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. There's no no more important cause or reason or reality in all of the universe than John's reason for proclaiming this, that you might believe that you might know that Jesus is Messiah, the anointed one, the promised one, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, you might have life. That's the message of the gospel. And so he begins the record of the Christmas event with this amazing story of the past Reality of Jesus Christ. Now Matthew and Mark, or Matthew and Luke had precisely recorded the um, events of the, the baby Jesus. But after many decades of reflection, John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brings to us another amazing di- dimension of who this Christ is. It's to that I want to give our attention this morning. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it or or not overcome it, one or the other. 
There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him or welcomed him, to those who believed in his name, the name Jesus, which means God saves, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is a most excellent, excellent text of Scripture. This is a most amazing presentation of Christology, the the reality of Jesus Christ and who he is. Our Father and our God, we, we just want to pause right now and call out to you. Thank you for this great text, which reveals to us who Jesus Christ is, reveals to us his excellency, his, his, the majesty of Christ. It, 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 Father, it strengthens us. It, it comforts us. It gives us a sense of perspective on, on the realities and the nature of salvation and, and the work of the gospel, the work of, of being your servants and, and the message that we're proclaiming and the awesome power that overshadows all of this work, Lord. Oh, Father, we pray this morning that you might uh, light a a fresh fire in our hearts uh, about this Christmas reality, Lord. I pray that that, uh, you would continue to work and and, in amazing ways, Father, change hearts among us. I pray, Father, that you would push back the darkness because you have promised that Jesus Christ is the true light and, and, and darkness runs from the light. And, Father, I pray that you would... Um, work powerfully in our service right here now, Lord, as you have already, as you have stirred our hearts, Lord, as you have reminded us that you are the God called Emmanuel, God with us. And so, our Father, because you are with us, would you cause our hearts to be in a fresh way with you, for you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want, to, I want to look this morning at this question. How in control of the first Christmas was Christ? Now, you might be saying, well, wait a minute, isn't he the baby in the story? How in control can he really be? See, that's the problem. That's what John is writing about. That's what John wants us to know about. That's his authorial purpose. That we might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. 
And that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. So um, the first thing that I see here in verse 1 in particular is this amazing scope of the nature and reality of what is called the word here. And John helps us to understand what he's talking about in verse 14 by saying the word became flesh. So we know he's referencing this babe that came in the manger, this Christ child, this anointed one, this Messiah. And he says this about him. Christmas wasn't his beginning. Long before the first Christmas, he was before anything in the beginning. Before all of the things, John says, before all the things you can see, before all the things you can touch, before all of that, before all of the writings, before all of the story of Christmas, before all of that, go back before all of that, before all of creation, before that, he was. It's a, a, quite a significant word that's used here, this word was. It, it really means he already existed. In other words, in the beginning existed the word already. And the word existed already with God. And literally in the Greek, <clears throat> excuse me, literally in the Greek word order, And God was the Word. Now, I'm going to try and stick really close to my notes this this morning for a number of reasons, for time reasons, but also because this stuff is, it's, it's an amazing thing, you know. The Greek that is written here by John is the simplest of all Greek in the Bible, in the New Testament, the simplest. Yet this This configuration of wording is the most profound and skillfully put together. And you've got to be careful. You can't tamper with it. You can't fool around with it. You've got to present it as it is. You've got to present it with precision. So I'm going to lock myself as much as I can into my notes so that I don't go freewheeling out there and say something that isn't doctrinally true as much as is possible with human flaws. So let me just say to you that the only reason there is a Christmas is because God put his Christmas thought into word. You you know, we we, uh, throw around the terminology, Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's absolutely true. But what John is presenting to us here is an insertion of another word that I'd like to add. Jesus is not only the reason for the season, he is the only reason for the season, The only reason Christmas matters is because of Jesus. That's what John wants to proclaim here. He wants to put him at the front of the line in every possible way. In the beginning, the word already existed because God already existed. And God was the word. Theos, he, ha, legos. Same divinity possessed by God is possessed by the word. That's what he states here. There was no time when the Word did not exist. In fact, the only reason anything exists is because something always did. That's logic. The only reason something, anything exists is because something always did. And by the way, that something isn't matter. 
In the science textbooks, it claims that matter is eternal. Matter is not eternal. God is eternal. The only reason matter exists is because God exists. God is at the front of the line. The the logic of this is you can't get something from nothing. Exactly. And that something is the word. God. God always existed. That's the proclamation. That's the assertion. It's not apologized about. It's not discussed. It's not explained. It's stated. God exists already. That's why anything else exists. That's the point of John's statement here. That's why Jesus could look at the skeptics around him in John 8, 58. And they were saying, are you greater than Abraham? Who do you think you are, Jesus? And all this. He's like, greater than Abraham? Before Abraham was born, I am. <laughs> That's just a statement of who he is. He was with God and God at the same time, collaterally. And before anything, he was already. Now, um, we learn throughout the scriptures, in, in the reality of that, that John is talking about he was with God and was God. John is pre- preaching to us here the doctrine of God at least in two persons. Now, we know in the fullness of the scriptures that the presentation is God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. To a Jewish audience standing around here, monotheistically, they were quite blown away by this nature, the nature of Jesus Christ. He was with God and God at the same time? Yes. We learn throughout the Old Testament scriptures, of course, that the word is the powerful activity of God. God spoke something, and it came to pass. And and what John is saying here is that powerful activity of God is the Word. And the Word, he says, has become flesh and has dwelt among us. That personage, the powerful activity of God, has come to be among us. That's the description here of what is happening. This Jesus Christ who wasn't always flesh. The word that always was came into a state of flesh existence. And so in his opening, uh, opening um, statement here, he just goes right into it. He is God. Now, um, in verse 2, he says he was with God in the beginning. This word who is God is the one who was also with God and God before all that is, was. So it stands to reason, secondly then, that without him, nothing was that is. That's precisely what he says in verse 3. Though, or through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. What that means to the first Christmas reality is this, that there was a manger scene is because the Son made all the things necessary for it to be. John says, you can look around at the nativity scene. You look around at it. Look at, look at all this. The nativity scene. The only reason 
it exists is because of Jesus Christ. Without him, nothing was that is. The word is the creative agency of the Godhead. Now, um, this word made here has an important nuance to it. It's the word ginomai in, in Greek. And the word made could better be and maybe uh, more precisely expressed to us as came into being. This is a very important way to put this. Came into and literally came into a state of existence. That's what it means. So what it says here is, through him all things came into a state of existence. Through him all things came into being. Before he did anything, they didn't exist. They didn't come into being without him. That's the important and precise wording of this. Through, through the word, John says, and he uses sweeping statements like everything that is came into being. Without him, nothing that is was. Nothing without him just happened or arrived. Nothing that you see that has come into existence or is just happened or arrived. It was an intentional choice of Jesus Christ through him. In this statement, this broadness of the statement, he's using the, the all things word, pause. Uh, literally meaning anything at all, uh, full, entire, whatever. All things that have come into existence came into existence by Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul picks up on it in Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, 16, 17, says the same thing. For by him all things were made or created, came into being. Came into existence. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things. Same thing. He's saying, look around. He's saying to your life and to my life and in terms of control and power and dominion and domination, whatever your thinking is, is potentially closing in on you, listen, you're Christ is over all these things. He made these things. Powers, authorities, principalities. He's over them. Nothing came into being independently. Nothing came into being accidentally. Nothing came into being surprisingly. One of those uh, moments in Jurassic Park uh, that, for those of you who like that movie, where the actor Jeff Goldblum looks around warning the uh, mad scientist and says to him, nature will find a way. No. That's not the description here. Nature hasn't found a way. There's nothing accidental, nothing surprising, nothing independent. Christ, John says, was the way. 
through him all, nothing, not a thing. It, it is a colossal leap to attempt in any possible way to harmonize the scriptures and the scriptural presentation here of who Christ is in terms of his maker reality with any evolutionary forces whatsoever. It's a colossal leap to propose that the word only caused to come into existence simple life forms when John says not a thing came into existence without him is to depart from the scriptures. So he puts the point here to us, from nothing all things that came into a state of being came to be by Christ. The very minions that fiercely opposed the purposes of the word came into existence by Christ. That's why we fear no evil. Because God is with us. Jesus put a face to the creator. Christmas put a face to the creator. Now, um, thirdly, he goes on to say this. In him was life. Note this. Not only is he before all things, not only is it true that without him nothing was that is, but here John lays out for us that he alone, Christ, is the only source of life and counteractive to deadness. Which means this. John says, look around again at the manger scene of that first Christmas. That there is anything alive at the manger scene is because of Christ. You know those little sheep? Christ. You know the cattle lowing? Christ. You know that little cockroach that was over there in the manger scene there? That's not in many of our productions, but it was there. Christ. That little plant growing outside of the place where Christ was born. Him, the babe, Christ. In him alone. There are no other options. In him alone, life is. In him alone, life exists. God sustains all things, the, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, by his powerful word. And the word has, has life in himself, John 5.26. He didn't receive life. He didn't come to life. He was life. Jesus is life. He is the cause of existence of all things and the source of life of all things living. Through the word, and the word only, God turns dry ground into fertile, productive land that produces vegetation and seed-bearing plants and fruit-bearing trees. It is through him that the waters teem with living creatures. It is through God that the air is populated by flying things. It is because of Christ alone that the land brings forth wild animals, and because of him that he breathes into formed dust and being, the being comes to life. Created all life and the laws that control them. And at the end of the creation account in Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 1, which should really be Genesis chapter 1, verse 32. It's, a, I think, an unnecessary chapter intrusion because it's a summary statement of Genesis chapter 1. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And the word completed there in Hebrew is kalah. Kalah is a colorful and very precise word that literally means a full end finish. In other words, the creator, it says, they're added to until fully complete. So sweeping is the nature of the dominion of Jesus Christ that there is nothing that has life that did not receive life from him. Christ has not derived life from anything. All that is alive derives its life from him. And only because there is life in him is there life at all. Anywhere. He created all things because he, in him alone was life. He is the counteractive and the only counteractive to deadness. It says in the word of God that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Every single person. And because he lives, the Bible says, we will live also. Because in him is life. He is the only one who can counteract our deadness. Can counteract the deadness of the people you've been praying for for years that they might come to life in Christ. He alone is it. The essential excellency of the word is life. Now how do you top any of that? Well, you don't. But John just keeps going on. It's like we're, we've been filled already, John. This is already too amazing for us to comprehend. He said, no, no, I, I've got at least one more thing I've got to say to you this morning. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Beloved, this is the, the last and important point that I want to give to you this morning. That... That Jesus Christ, how, how, how dominating a factor is he? How, how in control is he of the first Christmas and every Christmas thereafter and everything before Christmas ever came to be? How dominating a factor is he? He is the only possible hope of defeating darkness. The only possible. There are not other possibilities. Over and over again, what is being fed into the thinking of our culture, being fed and infused into the minds of our young people is, there are many, many possible solutions to the moral crisis of life. There are many, many possible ways that we can change the way the world is. let's Let's just occupy parks. Surely that will bring in a change. Now, listen, the only hope, of changing the darkness of the human condition is Jesus Christ. That's the message of John. That's the powerful message of John. How important is light? Listen. In the beginning, light was called forth in creation to establish the environment for life. It's not some sort of poetry that he puts light at the front of the creative line. It's absolutely gospel practicality. Without light, there can be no life. So, 
At the very beginning of creation, God calls forth light. Let there be light. Why? So that there could be life. It was the essential nature of necessary to produce life, to have life. And Paul, the apostle, picks it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, and says that's the salvation reality. That's the gospel practicality. The same God who said put light at the front of the line of, of, of the physical creation has put light at the front of the line of spiritual creation. Let light shine in the hearts of people that the darkness might be taken away, that the deadness might be chased away, and that they might come to life. That's the message of the gospel. That's the gospel practicality of the whole creation design and order is Jesus Christ and the way he functions, his modus operandi. That life was the light of men. And it says in the text, in the end of verse 5, it's either translated not understood, but it can also be translated has not overcome. Darkness cannot overcome the true light. That's the powerful message of the gospel. That's what gives us impetus to proclaim the gospel with boldness. That's what, that's what stirs our hearts, knowing full well that, that, that it's not something we can do, not something that we can generate, not something we can manufacture. We can't write a script. We can't write a music score. We can't write anything that will chase the darkness out of people's hearts. It is the true light of Jesus Christ that by his grace, he willingly shines on a dark heart. And that dark heart responds and recognizes the light. And that life of Christ... God with us comes into that person and gives them life. Born of God. Not of a human will, not of a decision, not of a Christmas concert, not of a sermon. But born of the Spirit of God who brings life into a person's life. That's, John said, who you're looking at in a manger. Just as men will physically perish without the radiance of the sun, man will spiritually perish if he remains in darkness without the light of the sun, S-O-N. And that's the fundamental battle line of all of life. It's the stubborn deadness of darkness against the true light. It's the Sunday by Sunday of waltzing into the presence of God with your arms folded over your heart saying I will not believe this I would rather stay in my deadness and my darkness that's the absurdity of darkness and deadness most of us have been there at one time in our life and we can't believe that we wasted so many years with our hands folded over our hearts. Why wouldn't we just respond? Why do people come year after year? I, I, I've been making my way around each night, introducing myself, meeting people, and they're, oh, yeah, I'm back again this year, back again. And I can tell, you know, they say, oh, that's my, my once a year thing at church, you know. It's like, but your arms are folded over your heart. 
And I'm looking into the eyes of people who are 60, 70. That's why, that's why there's such an urgency and such a passion here. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're 17. You could go out of here today and be killed by a car. Man in darkness is the state the word found the world. And it's still the same. Darkness confuses, it confounds, it hides what truly is. Darkness continues unless it intersects with light. It opposes light, it rejects life. But in Jesus Christ, John says, light and life teamed up in the Logos. And people are changed. And there's no human explanation for it. There's no physical explanation for it. They're not born of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will. But by the grace of God. Who is the babe in the manger? Let me just leave this for you to consider by way of application. How in control and dominant is Jesus Christ really? He is before anything. Think about that. Jesus is your go-to, your front of the line, your everything, your only God, your nothing before, nothing over, nothing after, nothing beyond, nothing improved, nothing more important. Jesus is the ultimate, majestic, eternal, excellent God of the ages, creator, supreme savior, mighty God, everlasting father, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, before anything. What does it mean that without him, nothing was that is to your life? It means this, whatever you need that isn't can be. Because of who Jesus is. What does it mean that he is the only source of life and and, and counteractive to deadness? What does that mean to your life? It means this, that whatever is no longer alive or has gone dead, he can bring to life. It it means that, that he can bring life to someone who's dead in sin. That person you've been praying for over and over again, that neighbor, that coworker. It means that if interest in the things of God has gone dead in your life, he can bring that to life. It, it means that, that if the ability or the sense of personal vitality and zest and vigor in life has, has deadened, he can bring that back to life. It means that, that if a, a love has gone cold in a relationship that you have with someone else, that, that this Jesus Christ can bring that back to life. He alone is our only hope for that. It means that, that if, if in some way an old discouragement has forced you back into some sort of spiritual closet or sidelines, that, that Jesus Christ can bring your heart back to life. It means that he's our only hope for, for eternal life. What does it mean that he is the only possible hope of defeating darkness? I'll tell you what it means. It means... That, That he is the only hope for the spiritual darkness that shrouds every mind outside of Christ. 
And no one is beyond hope or help from this true light. It means the the great concern that you have for so many in your life, so many loved ones who are completely confused by their darkness, can by the simplest reality of the gospel be touched by the love of Christ. It means that all people are just one encounter away from the true light, from a salvation experience in Christ. The light Christ alone delivers establishes the perfect environment for life. He is the only hope for that. It's not clever rhetoric. It's not education. It's not the right verbal formula. It's not the right music score or the most outstanding Christmas drama. It's not the right atmosphere. It's not the right combination of circumstances. It is a grace encounter with the true light, Jesus Christ. That's the reality. That's the message that John brings. So he calls out to us to have boldness and confidence. Make straight the way of the Lord. He is excellent above all things. Take down any hill. Clear away any debris. Fill in any trench or pothole. But whatever you do... Make sure that nothing is in the way of access to this marvelous and amazing Christ, Jesus, our Lord. That's what John proclaims in his opening salvo. Pretty amazing stuff. Father, I thank you for this fresh introduction to the timeless truth about Jesus Christ. Nothing new here today, Lord. It's all about your excellent revelation to us of Jesus Christ. But what might be new to us, Lord, is the need for us to have a fresh passion for this. Lord, would you grip our hearts fresh with what we have as believers? God with us? Who am I that you should be with me? God saves? Who am I that that I would deserve the least of the favor of the God of the universe who is perfect and excellent? Not a bit, Lord. My sins are so many. My selfishness is so gross. The stuff in the way is so much. And you, by the power of your spirit, clear it away because you are the life, the truth, and the way. So, Lord, I just pray today that you would continue to powerfully work among us, in us, through us, around us. Bring people to yourself, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord laid it on Pastor Steve's heart earlier in the service to offer an invitation to salvation. Which is not something that we normally do here. So I have to think that God is very much at work. You know, I'd love in my heart to believe that every single one in this room has fully committed their lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and this, was, this was just a pep rally this morning. Just to hear the stuff we love and believe. 
and to build confidence into our hearts, and I know that's what's happened. But what burdens my heart this morning is that there might be somebody in here who's never responded to an invitation to receive Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, your own Lord and Savior, to turn your heart, just simply turn your heart to Him. He's done everything that needs to be done. The, the only thing left to do is for you to turn and respond to the God with us, Emmanuel. And that in itself is not going to be a decision you make on your own. It's not going to be by your choice. It's going to be by the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you know right now that that Spirit is stirring your heart. You can feel it. This is my day. I need to respond to Christ today. This is the moment. I know this is the moment. God's prompting you. He's moving you. As we bow our heads this, this morning, is there, is there anybody in here who can say, you're talking to me. God is moving in my heart right now. God is calling me to finally surrender my life to him fully. Give him my life. That God with us might be God in me. Is there anybody? Would you just slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Is there anybody? Back there in the back. Yes, thank you. Yes, I see you back there. Anybody else? Anybody who say, this is the message for me. This is God's message to me this morning. Our Father and our God, you see every heart. You know every life. And so, Lord, thank you for those today who you have spoken to. And I pray, Father, that you would begin a great new life in them through the work of the Spirit of God. Today, the debris has been cleared away. The hills have been shaved down. The trenches have been filled. And a way straight to the Lord has been made. Thank you for salvation, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name.